that like we keep growing like consistently like 30 to 40% month over month we've done that for this whole calendar year of 2022 Welcome to Double Your ARR a podcast for software and agency providers that serve Shopify brands learn the tactics that some of the best are implementing today to help you grow your business by providing better customer experiences All right, let's jump right into it. I have a special guest today that almost needs no introduction. AD, can you give everyone a quick background on yourself and then we'll get right into today's episode. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me, Brad. And that's always the hardest thing is to intro myself. It always feels weird. The short version is I was uh, one of the original co-founders of WooCommerce. They got acquired by Automatic way back um, now. Like It feels like ages, especially internet years. I subsequently founded a company called Converjo which built email marketing automation for e-commerce brands, um, primarily for Shopify. Uh, that's how I got to know the Shopify ecosystem, sold that to Campaign Monitor August 2019. And then um, after spending some time with Campaign Monitor, I restarted again for all my sins, and I'm now working on Cogsy, which is inventory management for brands that sell multi-channel and have multiple inventory locations. What are you, 58 now, 59? How old are you? <laughs> I suppose I feel like that, yes, and I joke about it, and it's probably not untrue. Like, I mean, I I, I look young, yeah, yeah, but at heart, I'm old soul. Yeah, your startup, startup heart. All right, so uh, before we get into some of today's tactics and uh, looking ahead to in the next year, can you just give some context for who's listening? So, who's your ICP, your niche, what you just touched on with Cogsy, your ARPU sales motion? So, just start to uh, lay that out, and then we'll uh, we'll get into the tactics here. Totally. So the way we currently think about ICP, right, is essentially looking at brands that are, I would say, DTC first, right? So they definitely have a kind of direct channel, but they often sell kind of multi-channel. So the simplest would be brand sells on, on Shopify and they also do, you know, Amazon FBA or another marketplace. And then we also get brands that do have some kind of you know, B2B or a wholesale kind of angle generally into kind of independent, smaller independent retailers versus kind of your nationwide chains, which means that kind of what we find is that that puts us in a kind of sweet spot of kind of you're working with brands that do about a million dollars on the low end up until about $20 million a year. That's where we like things are still early enough processes, et cetera, like operational challenges that we are um, just an easy fit. Like we have brands way north of that, but that gets kind of you know, tricky for us. What else can I share about those brands? Any vertical? We currently only focus on, on finished goods, which plays into your question about verticals. So we don't touch kind of raw materials or components. So any any vertical, if you think food and beverage, where there is a kind of a strong manufacturing component to how you do inventory management and, and planning, like we can work with those verticals, but like we're not, that's not our kind of your strongest fit. But beyond that, um, no, like no specific vertical, like whether it's a seasonal kind of product line or not, doesn't matter to us. All of those things are you're perfectly fine. Like in the, all of our kind of algorithms and features is not optimized for you know a single vertical, basically. Yeah. Okay. So one to 20 in terms of just revenue size and having a, an additional channel outside of just direct to consumer, at least on a, like a Shopify store. So what's the, what's your ARPU? What's an average, so average revenue per user. So per month as a think company. So we're just, we're just talking about which could be its own episode, which is HubSpot and support management, and everything that goes along with that. But just think like a company, they might have multiple stores and multiple Shopify stores, but just one single company. What was, what's like a typical ARPU that you guys target? Yeah. So, so current ARPU for us sits at about $260 a month. 
and it's actually coming down. Like we made the change, Brad, um, probably about two, three months now from based on this, when we're recording this, where we actually opened up our, our fund a little bit. And like, we now have plans that start as low as $49. So historically we had plans that start at $200. So hence why the ARPU, I think is still you know, beyond you know, $200, but we're see- seeing that decrease. And that's been a very intentional thing for us to kind of you know, build some groundswell within the, the ecosystem, A, but B, also acquiring more data on our side. I mean, a big part of what we are doing is kind of you know, data driven. And there is always that, I think that carrot of building some kind of you know, bigger data set where one can mine that for intelligence that you can split off into kind of your bite-sized chunks for yeah. individual brands that we work with. So old, you started, it was a couple hundred dollars a month. So your potential signups, trial signups weren't as high as they are now. Now you have that lower plan so you can get more people coming in and potentially do some more research and analysis on, okay, who is our ICP, A, B, and C types and potentially use that in the future. So your sales motion, you you mentioned that your lowest plan starts at 50. You have a trial. Is that right? Yes. So we, um, and again, like it was interesting about pricing. The re- part of what why we did that was initially we also only had the ability for a kind of prospect to request a demo with us. And that was very intentional. Like we wanted to have a call with someone, not because we were trying to sell as much as we were trying to learn as, as a kind of a new product. Again, I, I kind of say that as, you know, acknowledging that I've never, like personally, I've never been a demand planner or kind of VP operations at a brand, right? So like building in Cogsy, like I now have some experience and I kind of you know, stand on the shoulders of many of our customers and kind of your friends that I've made, but we really want to force that conversation. So in kind of you know, opening up that funnel, like the idea there is for the product to be kind of your know, self-service um, and low touch. So yes, we have a free trial, for example, the product that you do not have to talk to us if you don't kind of you know, need us. Like we're happy to be very kind of you know, reactive in that sense. Like, hey, we're here if you need us. And what's been exciting there is in the last couple of weeks, we now have the first kind of your know, trial to paid conversion, conversions for new signups where we didn't speak to them once, right? So where all of the kind of your tools that we built from kind of the onboarding flow to ways in which they can manually, manually, that's a tongue twister. (laughs) That's not getting cut out, by the way. That's not getting cut. (laughs) That's very fine. Um, So where they can manually manipulate some of their kind of your data within our platform, right? So simplest kind of your example of that is when a brand sells a product with a certain SKU direct on Shopify, they sell the exact same product on Amazon, but they use a different SKU for that product. We actually have the ability now like you just click those two and you essentially merge those two data streams together, which means we can analyze historical sales for you and forecast out on a kind of a single identifier because that's what should be happening. You're replenishing or at least procuring the same product. So those things in the past, we had to do manually and had to hold the hands of customers. The tool is now of such a nature. I mean, I think from a UI UX perspective, it's, it's beautiful. It works really well, but that is the pusher. Like we ultimately, I think empowering kind of empowerment is one of our values internally, but also how we think about how we build a product. We are to ultimately empower kind of a customer operator of ours to get into the product and do what they kind of you want to do. And if they need our help, then we're here. We'll still do a demo if that's required or requested. Um, but the idea is that it's very much kind of self-service and that kind of product-led growth takes over over time. Yeah. So one thing you mentioned that I'll share that you said in the beginning, you were somewhat requiring that demo booking to just talk to the customers. But I was talking to another Shopify app owner about a year ago and they were pretty much the opposite. It was no, don't talk to anybody, no onboarding, no sales calls, just everyone signs up and you can use the product. And he was struggling with really high churn. So talking like 10% plus churn. And 
it was just as simple. Like, have you spoken to your customers even after they sign up? It's like, no, we don't do that. Just a very small tweak. He would start just having these in-app flows like, hey, hop on a call. Let's like, as soon as they sign up, just try to get on a call with them because even though they've downloaded and installed the app, they're not really a customer yet. They haven't activated and they started doing that and saw a big improvement. So I think that's what you've did, obviously having the experience that you have of kind of doing that beginning versus opening up the floodgates, potentially having that bad experience that can create a, a negative word of mouth virality to it. That's smart and something that others might be able to pick up. Exactly. And I, and I think the key is um, you have to strike when the iron is hot kind of thing, you know, with any user of uh, your software these days, right? So if someone, you know, gets to into your product and they churn out before you're able to get any kind of you know, interaction kind of going, then it's very hard to follow up. Like you can send millions of follow-up emails, right? But getting engagement then is much, much, much harder versus doing it more proactively, right? So Again, it's, I don't think it's ideal. I'm very opposed, for example, when I hit a marketing website and like the only way to learn about the, the product is through kind of a, you know, scheduling a sales call. And like sometimes that's frustrating because I like I'm a technologist and a software founder myself. Like I, I'm comfortable getting into the product and figuring this out. I, I, I do not want to call ever. You're not your ICP. Exactly. Right. So, but I'm at least acknowledging like when you do it in the way that we did is, you're definitely not optimizing for the amount of demo requests that you're getting early on, right? That you are optimizing to have conversations then versus the other example you spoke there. That's the opposite, right? Like you're saying compromising your ability to have conversations, but you're getting probably you know, significantly more, you know, top of funnel kind of interest into the product. So, all right, let's get into tactics. So size of business and you've had multiple, obviously for those that know, uh, WordPress and WooThemes and WooCommerce and Conversio was in the millions of ARR. And it's obviously the, you, you have the experience to fall back on over multiple companies, multiple years. What's one tactic that you feel has worked best? I would say in the last one to two years was somewhat recent. What's one tactic that you feel like is, uh, I don't know, that stands out amongst the hundreds that you may have tried that might be helpful to others. And it could be, it doesn't necessarily need to be a marketing growth tactic. It could be something people related, operations related, et cetera. Anything come to mind? I think the one that's always closest to heart, uh, Brad, is the ability to really build a team very quickly and get to kind of your cohesive state. Like I think there's a lot there that Stefano, uh, my co-founder and I, you know, have done on the culture side, for example, the way we work, et cetera, it's been super easy. And I think the short version just of that is probably in sharing that, you know, Stefano was my first engineering hire and first hire with Converjo, um, way back kind of when. So he and I have now kind of worked together for, for eight and a half years. And what that kind of translates to there is like, and beyond going into individual things that we do on the kind of culture and the way we work side, like just that there's two co-founders that's, very eloquent and extremely aligned in how we should work. And that, that kind of your plays ripples out really well, you know, into the team, right? Saying that though, I'm not normally the one to share kind of marketing tactics that helps. I consider myself a decent marketer, but it's not the hat that I, as a founder, that I love wearing. And in full kind of, you know, transparency, for example, is I think with Converjo, the thing that I kind of you lacked as a solo founder and as a team builder back then was figuring out how to do marketing to get us to the next level, right? So the best example I have is, um, you know, Conversion and Omnisend were, was founded about the same time, kind of your product roadmap is very similar early on. I know because I'm good friends with, with Ritas, the kind of your CEO and one of the founders over there. They're also investors in Cogsy, so went from kind of being enemies-ish, still being friends, right? Which, uh, which is a whole different story. But I know, for example, that like we were closely kind of tied and following similar trajectory. And then they kind of, you know, 
especially post-acquisition, right? Like they completely lapped us, right? So the thing that I'm most proud about with Cogsy is we added Marcella, our head of marketing. is unfortunately not with us anymore. She decided to pursue a passion project, but we added her for Timeline in September 2021. Um, September, August, exactly, right? So 18 months, right? So, and then we raised our kind of seed round in November of that year. And shortly after we raised that round, we really accelerated the work that Marcella started doing on the content side and went deep worked with an amazing SEO agency. And like that's been like content has been the single biggest investment and single biggest line item on our PL for kind of this whole year. If if I exclude engineering, right? Which is more, right? Single biggest investment. And I can probably say like working in such a disciplined way where we're really investing and doing kind of everything to get as much kind of your qualified traffic near to our website. If I show you that graph, like, unfortunately, like our revenue does not look, um, or grows at the similar trajectory yet, but it's incredible that like we keep growing like consistently, like 30 to 40% month over month. We've done that for this whole calendar year of 2022. So 30 to 40% with traffic coming to the site growth. Exactly. And it's all organic. I mean, and like, I think the, the key things there, I'm not the content experts, but we've been really great at uh, targeting very specific keywords, building out your typical kind of hub and spoke model for those kind of keywords or key topics at least. And then like we're now a year later, like we're really getting into how do we kind of optimize and refresh that content as well. So it's not just a case of publishing kind of a lot. It's being very strategic about how we publish. And then one of the things is, that's interesting since we're talking about podcasts and like you briefly asked about this before, we actually use our podcast to find um, insightful kind of you know, tidbits and anecdotes that we can blend into the rest of our content. So the podcast as a kind of, uh, as a format, like we're not overly invested in kind of your podcast listeners, for example, but the content itself like plays into that kind of greater you know, content strategy for us and really kind of builds out that kind of your lower base from which we can then kind of scale on the kind of your organic distribution side. Yeah, same. We're doing the same at, at Elevar. Let me put a bow on both of those. So the first answer on the tactic was, so it wasn't really a tactic, but it's more people related. So you build the people, the people build the business, you support them and kind of get out of the way, let the experts run. I, I remember you even gave a training in SAS Academy going back three years on culture and some things you were doing at Cogsy culture-wise, just internally. You actually helped give me some tips on, re, since we've been fully remote since day one of just giving me, as we were growing the team of, hey, you got to start doing these things to get people interacting. It could be something as simple as a donut meeting where it randomly selects people to meet up. I think as, as founders, you get tunnel vision. You kind of forget about that, that, okay, it's fun to actually have a work experience and, uh, and communicate, learn from each other, learn from different cultures. I definitely agree with that one. And uh, the second one was more, was around content. So just two years ago, I remember you launched, what is the podcast name? Uh, the Checkout. The Checkout, yeah. So you launched that podcast starting with zero listeners, but it wasn't just assuming that people are going to come to that podcast and you'll become, you know, a top 10 chart. It is using that content, breaking it down, creating blog articles out of it, social shares, potentially using that as keyword research to see what episodes perform better, and then tie that into your longer form blog posts, which you're using to pull in organic traffic, educate the market, be a thought leader, and then hopefully convert them into free trials. Is that yeah. All right. So that's a good one. Definitely have a lot of alignment there. For context, when I started the conversion tracking podcast, which is Elevar's podcast almost a year ago, I said, I'm doing a hundred episodes and then I'll make a decision on whether it was worth it or not. I started doing two per week. Two per week was too much. 
I'm doing doing one per week. But I, I had a few listeners that would write in and say, "Hey, you know, it was when I was doing two a week." They're like, "You sound like you're getting a little burned out." Like, I'm just letting you know, like, content's really good. Please don't stop it. And I said, "No, no, we're only at 30. I promised myself I would do 100 and then make a call." So it sounds like you're seeing that long term result as well. I think it's a thing, right? Like anything content wise, everyone will always tell you that your content is not this you switch if you flick and you suddenly just have growth right like it is that thing like you have to do it for a long time and then it kind of pays off and that is often the biggest hurdle to overcome like mentally before you do it. it's like, like so many other kind of you know, quick things that i can do that, to grow and i think again like talking about tactics that i'm then proud of like we did make that decision and that early bet with cogsy and like 12 months later like it is now significant right like we now have a if we had perfect product market fit kind of today and we had perfectly figured our positioning we would have an amazing like cost-efficient acquisition channel. I shared with you before, like the, the delta between our kind of number of free signups and the number of kind of website visitors, like is massive, right? Like we can make single digit kind of percentage kind of improvements there. And like, it would be like truly meaningful, right? So that's the opportunity there, but it required all of that investment um, and discipline. Like even when you're not seeing the kind of ultimate results, i.e. like new users, revenue in the bank, like you're validating this approach, have to stick with it. Absolutely have to stick with it. Key point. Great point. What's a tactic that you've seen someone else execute that you either haven't tried or you potentially tried and failed at or just that you envy? You don't need to say my name here. I'm just saying, you, you leave, me, leave, me out, leave me out here. <laughs> well, I mean, I think like I will call you out. I think what you've built with Elevar, Brad, like the extent to which you've had to do education, right? Like that's massive, right? I think if I now look into kind of your various conversations around the web, like that word of mouth that you have around Elevar is such a kind of um, strong asset. Like I see it pop up because of all the education kind of you've done, right? So, and again, like Elevar kind of earlier versions, not the sexiest product ever, right? But it solved going to be a real problem. And it's something that most people that need it, like they're not going to get to expert level or even close to it, right? So I will actually kind of you know, call, pay you some lip, lip service there. I think I'll give you two examples of other tactics that I envy at least, right? Like one is kind of you know, more OG and I'll pay respect to Clavio and just, I think they have the blueprint for how to run an incredible partnerships program, right? I think I have no inside kind of your knowledge, but you know, having competed against them um, and having tried to build a, a partnership channel before with Convergio, like I know how well, they had gotten those relationships locked down, right? So like, I can always, if you're able to replicate that to some extent, like you're winning. And then one that I am fascinated by, and again, like, I also have no context is it looks like Triple Whale in the last year or so, they've managed to create a cult around them, right? And I say that yeah. in the nicest way possible. I, I use cult there, right? But it is fanatical, right? The way that they get, at least in kind of my corners of the kind of the social web, at least, right? But you can always like, that's probably indicative of what, what happens elsewhere and like other conversations and channels. But I think like building that, whether it's brand awareness or community or somewhere in between, it's fascinating. Influencer. Yeah, they nailed the influencer game. Exactly right. And you can see that, right? So it probably pulls them to get that kind of level of like cult-like following. You probably need to do a bunch of things, right? You need to see the community. You need to pay a few influencers. Um, you need to kind of your show up at events, like doing all those things. And then you get that exponential kind of amplification. But it is incredible, like how well they've done it in a relatively short space of time, right? Because they, I wouldn't say they were kind of your, a sleeper kind of your team or brand or company, but they went from, hey, like we kind of know about them to, hey, you now see them absolutely everywhere. Two great examples. I think the Clavio partner one, 
obviously the triple L is most recent and probably anyone listening to this knows exactly what we're talking about. But I think the Clavio partnership one, that one, I feel like many might feel that's too much of a long game as well, especially if you're, you know, five to 10, maybe 20 person company, it's partnerships is a long game too. It's not that you start it up and then magically you have tens of thousands of new MRR coming in per month. It, it's a long game to build relationships, build operations and the structure of how to manage leads and opportunities and payments and commissions and all of that infrastructure. It's a lot. It's a lot to undertake versus a 10 years ago was here's an affiliate link and everything magically works and cookies connect and we can track everything and that doesn't work anymore. Exactly right. And what's probably interesting there, Brad, is I, I think for kind of many partners in the greater ecosystem today, I am not sure that the commissions they get from selling software, that's not the key thing for them anymore. Like, yes, it's meaningful. Yes, it adds and you know, probably adds a nice you know, recurring revenue kind of line to their P&L. But I do think that if I were an agency owner and I'm recommending software solutions to my clients, I have to have full trust in software solutions that I'm recommending, right? So like I think staying current with the solutions you're recommending, for example, like that's that's hard, right? Like especially if you're not using the software yourself. So I think that kind of a more of a balanced approach where I think Clavio will always be slightly different because they ultimately sell a service on top of the software that they recommend, right? Like if, if they're switching a brand to Clavio, they're also setting up your workflows, designing your templates, etc. Many other solutions, it's not necessarily the case. And it's the solutions are probably more complicated or sophisticated than email marketing. Email marketing, not that you're kind of you're dumbing down what, what email marketers have to do, but it's more of a, like you can be relatively adept at email marketing, even as a beginner, right? It's something that more people are aware of. Whereas as soon as you get into, for example, kind of your tracking realm and you have to set up Elevar, like, I'm relatively technical. I'm lost, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I can't, I can't just pass that off to a client of mine and say, Hey, you should totally use kind of your LR of tracking unless I fully understood or at least to some kind of your degree of expertise understood what I'm actually recommending they do with LR here. Yeah. Cause I, I guess it goes back to that the agency client partnership, which I've been on the agency side for many years prior to LR and even part of LR, somewhat agency like with the services we offer, but pretty typical one. It's, Client hires agency and they're essentially paying you to either make them more money, save them money or save them time. And a lot of this, like the software, the apps, the partners, that's where from at least in the way I used to look at it was, okay, where can I find an app that is going to save me time and save them money? That doesn't take a whole lot of our retainer or budget. So I can make sure we're maximizing the entire budget that the client is paying us to spend on revenue producing activities, whether that's conversion optimization, data analysis, research, new features, et cetera. And that just creates a healthier partnership in the long term because I would find when we go through those QBRs, quarterly business reviews or annual reviews of what did we get done, it's a much different story when you can just present, look at all the things that we did and all the tests that we ran and the lift and improvement and not the, oh yeah, we fixed 20 bugs and did 20 tracking things and did all that, which is not revenue producing. So I think that's a really in between the lines point that you made with the whole partnership and, and tech angle where it's not about the commission. So looking ahead, what are you uh, looking ahead in the next 12 months? I mean, it sounds like content is still one that you are very bullish on. Assuming that's not changing, what, what else do you see out there, whether it's something that you are doing or that you see others, what are you bullish on in terms of tactics or strategies to help in the next 12 months, depending on if you're on the optimism versus pessimistic side of the economy in general? So I'm not an economist. And I think it's interesting, by the way, maybe it's because like I, for those that are listening that don't know, like I'm born and bred Kryptonian, right? Like living in a developing country where there are often 
these kind of your frantically wild swings in the economy, like you also just get used to it, right? Like, so like, for example, the notion of inflation, I'm just like, eh, like we've had like highish inflation forever, right? Like it's just kind of a very normal thing for us. So to that extent, like I'm, maybe I'm just a little kind of numb or shut off to the kind of a general feeling about the economy, but like everything just feels cyclical there, right? So when I think it, I tend, point is I tend to not overthink those things. I still remain like cautiously optimistic about at least our kind of ecosystem, right? And like my, part of my thesis is always that any kind of digital spending, digital commerce, it's going to continue to grow overall. And ultimately as a kind of, as a software builder, like there are more interesting problems to solve year over year, right? I think as more types of businesses kind of, you start selling online in different ways, et cetera, like there's opportunity there. So that's a long-winded way of saying it. I remain cautiously optimistic. I mean, I think for us, at least, um, Brad, like, yes, like we're going to d- double down on, on contents. I think we've done all the initial hard yards on like opening up our funnel, making sure the product you know can be self-service, et cetera. So 2023 is then entirely about scaling all of that for us and using the existing assets that we had and just finding the efficiencies there. Right? So I, I called out, for example, like where uh, we're currently working on a new website, New positioning, I believe that kind of positioning and messaging will continue to evolve throughout the year. So the key initiative there for us is to kind of tweak that in almost real time or as, as in real time as we can to make sure that we kind of eke out those optimizations in, in our funnel at least. The tactic that I'm pretty curious about and I kind of um, seeing bits of this, but I think someone is going to nail this and maybe it goes back to kind of triple whale, but you know, cause I, I mentioned kind of community in that regard, but I do think that there's, opportunities for more kind of you know, intimate communities to be built in this space, right? Like, so I anecdotally and informally know of like many of these kind of you know, private what Slack kind of groups and WhatsApp groups where kind of brand founders are kind of in and sometimes ranges from like 30, 40 people to sometimes I hear numbers like 300 people. I've got no idea about kind of engagement in those communities value and how it can dynamics, right? Like I'm, I think as a software founder, like we're always seen as like being not that welcome in those kind of your communities, right? It's very kind of your brand centric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, for sure. I still yeah. wonder whether there's ability to kind of build, even as a kind of, you know, if it was Elevar or it was Cogsy or it was kind of, you know, Elevar and Cogsy, yeah. perhaps a few of our partners, how can you build a community that's not just about either serving customers or or selling? Like, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I would say we're aligned on that one. We dabbled with a Facebook group a couple of years ago and it just, we didn't have a community manager and just died a slow death like many do. But it is something we've talked about and having the focus beyond a more of a topic. So it's not a, it's not an Elvar group or you know, LVR plus X, Y, and Z partner group, but it's it's more about a topic that many of us would be interested in. So it's a topic that obviously fits in the same world that we live in, could be conversion rate optimization, could be marketing, TikTok, whatever it might be. So yeah, I think there's something there. And I think that ultimately, we just see it with our, the how did you hear about us that we have on our signup form. We had it for a couple of years. In the last six to eight months, we changed it to be just free form instead of having a list that people could select and just an open form. I mean, it's all dark social. It's how did you hear about us? You know, Nick Sharma, Ben Zettler, Facebook community, X, Y, and Z, or a friend or everything. If you just look at the top 10 to 20, I mean, I would say not exaggerating, 80% is coming from dark social. So I definitely agree that that community aspect of how do you insert yourself in that conversation, even if you are not in there. And to us, to the way that we've approached to that Elevar is 
part of our flywheel is providing six-star customer experiences. Now, we don't do it 100% of the time, but it is a metric we track in our scorecard every week and we go through it in our scorecard every week. And the intention behind that is the best thing that we can do outside of any tactic sales marketing wise is ensure that we provide an amazing customer experience. And even if we if we mess up, then we got to own up to it and try to fix it. So I just believe that that leads back to your point of if you do those things right in the communications with your customer, then those conversations naturally will happen and come up in those private communities. Exactly. And, uh, you know, often, by the way, Brad, like people often ask me, why did WooCommerce work all those years ago? And like, I will still tell them, like, we were absolutely kind of, you know, obsessed about, you know, customer kind of support back then, right? That was before like things like customer success and whatnot were, you know, words that we would use or customer experience, right? It was all just, it was support driven. But I remember like Magnus Mark and I, so Magnus Mark were my, my co-founders there, like the three of us were often, um, in the kind of the early years, not just kind of your early months, like the early years, we were, and again, like I'll give context, like we were doing multiple millions in revenue and the three of us would on a monthly basis compete to see who could answer or who could have the most conversations with customers and in, in, in support, right? Like that's how kind of obsessed we were. And, and I totally agree. Like if you can nail that, it's not that kind of the very pretty flywheel where, you know, you put $1 in and like it spits out the kind of your compounded number on the outside, but it is a flywheel nonetheless. And to your point, like we're seeing the exact same thing about dark social and, and Cogsy and it's early days for us, right? Um, but we're seeing that exact same thing as like how customers find us, it's not by clicking a single ad, right? It's not by finding us with, with a single kind of your tweet that mentioned us, right? Like it is generally those other conversations where we weren't directly involved in those conversations, but someone else is having that conversation almost on our behalf. Yeah. I need to get to work to create some stories to uh, share to make sure we don't fall behind in the, in the content game. Thanks. Where can people connect with you, personal company, LinkedIn, Twitter, where do you hang out and how can people contact you? Yeah. So uh, company-wise, the easiest is um, our website, cogsy.com, C-O-G-S-Y.com. And then I'm at 80, 80 I on Twitter. I try and tweet as often as I can. You can at least reach me there. Like even when I'm not posting, you can at least reach me there, ask me questions. And I'm sure anyone can figure out my email addresses as well. I'll say this for my sins. I'm pretty responsive on on email as well. I'm slightly obsessed about being getting to inbox zero. Are you tw- Twitter or LinkedIn? What's better? What do you prefer? As a consumer, I prefer Twitter, but as a kind of a publisher or someone that wants to communicate things, I think our LinkedIn, our and my LinkedIn story of publications or publishing is way better, gets way better engagement than what Twitter gets these days. Yeah. All right, Edie. Thanks. See you next time. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for listening today. And can you do me a quick favor if you found this helpful? Please share this podcast in your own circle with anyone else that you feel like will get value from this. My commitment is to continue bringing on amazing guests, sharing their secret sauce for you and others. But obviously, we need the audience to keep this going. If you have any feedback, guests, if you want to be a guest or you have other people you think should be guests, hit me up on LinkedIn, Brad Redding, or on Twitter. I am Brad Redding. That's my handle. And, uh, hear from you. Thanks and see you on the next episode.